0: You're listening to the One on One with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host Theo Wan. Welcome to season 2 of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of ultimate. Each week I will talk to a new guest and we will talk about their journey into ultimate, what their life in ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by The Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than The Pocket AT, it's like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you with everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at ThePocketAT and on their website at pocketat.com. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Vaughn Alongilon. Vaughn is a player for Chicago Machine and Chicago Union of the American Ultimate Disc League. He was Ulti World's 2018 Club Defensive Player of the Year, and he won the 2020 USA Ultimate Farraker Spirit Award. With Machine, Vaughn came second in 2019 at the USA Ultimate National Championships and third at the 2015 USA Ultimate National Championships. He has played for Machine and the Union since 2014. Before Machine, he played with Chicago Haymaker, the second team in Chicago, and he played his college ultimate with Western Illinois University Mass Hysteria. Vaughn currently lives in Elmhurst, Illinois. Here is my interview with Vaughn alon Gilon. Alright, so I'm here with Vaughn alon Gilon all the way from Illinois, virtually of course. So, Vaughn, how are you doing today?
1: Doing pretty good, Theo. Thanks for having me. Uh, a little nervous. Uh, never podcasted before. But, um, yeah, dream come true right now. Thanks.
0: You know, I do appreciate that dream come true, being on the podcast. We've had uh, one of Vaughn's former teammates and Goose Helton on the pod, so... Do appreciate that. And people might know Yvonne for for uh, this amazing block that happened. Uh, you probably remember this. Maybe it was a blur for you against Sockeye in the final. Uh, I'm sure that was on Sports Center in the States and just everywhere. So that was obviously a big highlight for you. But let's take it all the way back to when you first started playing back in, it sounds like 2006. So a long time ago, that's when you picked up Ultimate. How did your career start with Ultimate there?
1: Wow. Oh, yeah, this is now 15 years playing and making me feel old here. Which I am. Master's eligible, actually, this year, so excited for that. Cool. So, yeah, I started um, actually before that, 2006, I started playing Ultimate in high school. My high school team didn't have a club, so it was just my friends and I getting together at parks and, you know, playing 16 versus 16 games barefoot. The front of the end zone would be getting past this tree on one end and the other end would be like a set of shoes so good old grassroots classic ultimate there but yeah that was so much fun playing i knew i wanted to be more competitive with it so ended up finding a club team and at college at western illinois university that was super fun showed up barefoot it was a good squad lots of lots of good players uh, good veteran leadership it's just that our depth wasn't quite there so yeah a lot i learned a lot from like the veteran guys on the team greg slover Went on to play Machine, Mike Hastings, Garrett Vickers. But yeah, when I first showed up, I showed up barefoot, but I was pretty good, I'd say. I was Sky and other freshmen. I think the veterans were pretty happy to have me join the team. And then my first tournament, we went down to Southern Illinois, and the veterans liked what they saw. They put me on the O-line. I was the first cut, went to make my first cut, and it had been raining in like, for 24 hours straight in uh, Carbondale. My foot got stuck in the ground, went to go twist, and tore my ACL.
0: Oh, no. First tournament, first point, it sounds like, right? is First that,
1: tournament that? ever, first point, first cut, went down, and it was just, uh, yeah, terrible experience. I mean, it was so wet and rainy, I just had to sit on the sidelines with uh, a garbage bag over me, ice around my knee, didn't know what was happening, like, what? <laughs> why am I here? This is horrible. So, I was basically out. I would continue to come back. I think like two weeks. I would two weeks later, it felt better. I could run in a straight line. So I thought I could play. Would go up to catch a disk and you know land awkwardly awkwardly on the leg, and that happened like three or four times that year, which is really dumb on my part, but I didn't know any better. I did get surgery that off season, going into my sophomore year, and then yeah, I got better, started playing again. I, I should mention that like. While I was injured, I was still like, you know, I, I was hooked at that time. It's a fun group of guys. I love the sport. When I, was health, when I was healthy, when I first started playing in the fall, I was loving it. So I was fully committed at that point. I knew I, that this is where I wanted to be. Went on to play for the rest of my Western Illinois. Yeah, I learned so much about playing Ultimate Chicago Summer Leagues. Uh, they were just so much fun. I met new players, new Ultimate players in Chicago. Yeah, I just really gained a lot of Ultimate knowledge and from the veteran players playing uh, in these Ultimate Chicago Summer Leagues. And this was actually before these. there were all these club teams and before the AUDL. So I feel like everyone that played Ultimate in Chicago played uh, League. So that's also where I met Ty Adams, who recruited me to play haymaker. So I went on to play Haymaker going into my senior year at uh, Western. So I played Haymaker then from about 2009 to 2014, which was a good experience again. Haymaker was so much fun. A lot of the guys heavily involved with Ultimate in in Chicago, Dan Baker, Ty Adams, Doug Ishikawa, Keith Hernandez, lots of others. So that was... huge experience for me. They trusted me and they played me a lot and was super content and happy just playing Haymaker. Until about 2013 is when I tore my ACL again.
0: Oh no, second time there.
1: Yeah, second time. So, same knee, same leg. Yeah, it sucked, but I knew that I still wanted to play Ultimate. I knew that I was just going to rehab it and I have to do something when I get back to make sure it doesn't happen again. Going into 2014, I think the wildfire we're having, actually it was their second season. My buddy from Western, Greg Slover, had recruited me to play wildfire. Told me he had the opera. we had the opportunity to play together on machine again too. So I had rehabbed back from my second torn ACL to play wildfire and machine. So made wildfire, made machine. That was in 2014. And yeah, I've been playing Machine and Wildfire slash Union ever since.
0: Yeah, I mean, Vaughn, lots to unpack from your just the the beginnings of the story there. Especially the first story of uh, your first ever tournament. That sounds, uh, for a lot of people, Vaughn, I feel like as a freshman who didn't play Ultimate High School, like at the club level, like you mentioned, you know, you're kind of playing 16 on 16 there. Wouldn't that first event just turn you off from the sport? Like, why did you come back? You, like, you know, you hurt yourself, you're sitting in the cold rain. Anyone who's listening that's played Ultimate in the rain knows how much it sucks to play in the rain. But what's even worse than playing in the rain is being on the sidelines and not being able to play in the rain. That's like the worst thing possible. So, why did you stick with it when that was like your first experience?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think because, yeah, I just, I fell in love with the sport, you know, within my first like, couple days attending mass hysteria ultimate practice. Yeah, so I showed up barefoot and after that they told me I had to get some cleats. So I went to Walmart and bought, you know, thirty dollar cleats and was making an impact right away as a freshman. I saw that I was I was like, okay, I'm I'm pretty good with I'm pretty good at this sport and I didn't really know I tore my A C L at that time either, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to come back and play and it'll be fine. So it wasn't until you know many months later, at the end of that year, that I had an MRI and found out that my ACL was torn and I got surgery. so:
0: Yeah, sounds like you like to play through the pain there uh, a little bit, and uh, yeah, that's sweet that you got your start in college there, and it's turned into a, an obviously successful club and semi-pro career as well.
1: Would not recommend uh, the $30 Walmart cleats for anyone ever
0: playing Ultimate. Yeah, I mean, there's now uh, Vaughn, as you know, ultimate specific cleat companies out there. People rock the, you know, I rock the football cleats usually, but you know, some people rock the soccer, as they call it in America and North America, soccer cleats. You got the football and you got lacrosse, so there's a lot of footwear going on now there, Vaughn. That that uh, that's quite expensive, you know. It can rise up in the cost for you as a player. Yeah, with all that experience there in college, where did you bring? Uh, Or what did you bring from your past sports background to get to where you are uh, in college? Because obviously, uh, it sounded like you're pretty athletic. You're able to hang with these people on mass hysteria at practice. So what sport background did you have to get in there? I didn't play any high school sports. Obviously, yeah, I didn't play any varsity sports. Just
1: played intramural basketball with friends. And this is going to sound silly, but grade school basketball did have an impact in my life. I had a really intense basketball coach. Push us to our limits. Yeah, we learned a lot about conditioning and myself, yeah, I just learned more about pushing each other as teammates. So that was probably the base of my athleticism is playing grade school basketball, along with actually playing baseball as well. I played center field, shortstop and second base. Yeah, I love making diving and stops and catches and running the base pads. I also love like sliding into into bases so baseball is probably where I learned how to control my body and dive and bid. and I have an older brother so I was just always competing against him so I think that's where a lot of my like feistiness and intensity comes through so he still won't let me beat him in like basketball games and still thinks that he's faster than me and everything so
0: yeah have you had a race recently though is uh is that something that happened
1: we haven't raced recently I think uh, I don't want to make him look too bad so I make up excuses that I have to stretch or I'm too tired or, you know, my ankle's sore. So
0: I let him have it. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, in terms of your basketball skills there, who would you say is your – this is just going to be an off-the-cuff fun question here. Who would you say is your pro-player comparison? Like who do you play like as an NBA player? Like who would you say like your game is modeled after?
1: I still play pickup basketball. People – would would call me Leandro Barbosa.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: Phoenix Suns. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He he's so fast and quick. Call me Leandro Barbosa. Um, he's retired. I don't know. I I don't want to compare myself to Patrick Beverly. He's a, he's a pest on defense though, right? <laughs> Absolutely no offense, and although I'm not a big offensive name, I like to think that I'm better offensively than Patrick Beverly. But I think I'm content with uh, Leandro Barbosa. I'll stick with that.
0: Yeah, I like the player comp there. And so now we'll talk a little bit about your time with Haymaker there. Uh, as you mentioned, the second team in Chicago. And often, you know, on the podcast, we have guests that play on these top teams. and But we hear about some of their experiences on a team that people in the region would obviously know in Illinois, in Chicago, in, in that region. But maybe not throughout the country or, or elsewhere around the world wouldn't know about Haymaker. So what did you learn specifically that there that was able to help you be successful with Machine and with the Union?
1: They just showed me the ropes of Club Ultimate. Obviously, my first club experience, so they had a lot of trust in me. I don't know, they just let me do my own thing. Played defense to start my career there, and then went on to play offense. I think a lot of it, I honestly, is what they had showed me off the field. Yeah, I was like 1920, they They're about <laughs> late 20s, early 30s. So they really just showed me a lot about being involved with the Chicago community the whole team dynamic, hanging out in Chicago, you know, how that lifestyle was. So I don't want to make them look, look bad. Like, Oh, they didn't really show me much about ultimate, but um, I think just being a part of that team, it was just a step above the ultimate that I was playing at, uh, at Western. So just being able to compete with Haymaker, I was able to bring back a lot of Frisbee knowledge and experience to masses at Western and help that program get better too. So, yeah, it was just a, a good competitive experience, and a, a lot of veteran guys that showed me the ropes of not just ultimate, but life as well.
0: Yeah, you're you're getting taught as a young Vaughn uh, Alan Gilon there, right? The ropes of life, it sounds like. And with that team, you're playing at regionals, right? You, you as we talked about off air, you haven't you didn't make it to nationals with that team, but you're probably playing in some highly competitive regional games. So, would you say you're able to get reps in those kind of high leverage, high stressful situations as well, which has lended itself to the high leverage situations you now play for with Machine?
1: So, yeah, my first year with Haymaker, we ended up beating Mad Cow, which was a Nationals level team.
0: Out of Ohio, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was the first time we had beaten a national Nationals level team. And so, that was awesome. You know, at that point, it gave me and gave Haymaker lots of confidence going forward that At that time, it was like 2009, 2010, the regions were different. So, you know, we would have Madison Club in there. Yeah, we did have Minnesota in the region also. So uh, my first year we went out to play, we we did beat Mad Cow. And my second year we ended up beating Madison Club, which was also like another historic victory for the team. They put me in this position uh, on Haymaker. They they trusted me to make plays offensively, defensively. Yeah, I was able to make an impact, and that did tons for for my confidence. And just knowing that I was able to hang with, you know, nationals level players was a good confidence boost. Playing machine, on the other hand, was a different story. They, they, they knew that we were the second team from Chicago, and they didn't want to let that be otherwise.
0: So, so they they took it very uh, seriously, is what you're saying? Because it's it's more than just a game. For that, that's like bragging rights, right? You don't want the second team to beat the quote unquote first team, right? It's still that way so they they didn't take it easy it sounds like that's good and so you mentioned in 2013 kind of 2014 that area you're you're trying out for wildfire you're you're you make machine so yeah what was that what was that feeling like you've made the first team now was that something you always envisioned that you're going to play haymaker for a bit and then hopefully you would play machine because some people have those aspirations so was that you
1: that, that was definitely always the goal. I just didn't know when I was going to transition from haymaker to machine. But once Slover, my good buddy, was playing machine, I, I knew that's something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, along with you know machine's success, I think they had a really good twenty thirteen.
0: What was your first experiences like being on the team? Right in twenty fifteen, you make it to the to the semifinals right of, of nationals which is a really big deal for someone who's never played nationals right you're within your first two years you're in the semifinals so what was your first experiences like with machine wildfire and
1: machine i didn't really know i didn't really know what was going on you know i i'd made those teams not sure what they saw in me and i started on the d-line for wildfire and then had some good games had some good blocks and then a couple of months later, I did end up making Machine. Walden told me that the role that I was trying out for, which was a defensive cutter, and so you have to stay focused on what your role is and perform that role to the best of your abilities. Uh, you sort of train uh, around that, you know, to, to be quick and, you know, watch a lot of film and how to position and defend properly, so... I'd say that I stuck with the same role since 2014, my entire machine career. Yeah, 2014, uh, we had a really, really good year. And it was, like I said, I didn't really know, I, I'd never experienced high level club before. So I didn't realize how good of a team we had until, you know, a couple of years later. I was like, damn, that team was really, really good. So we kind of cruised through that uh, regular season. You know, I was able to make some plays defensively that year. Earlier in the year, I was able to make some plays defensively and make an impact, but kind of faded towards the end of the season. And then at Nationals, we had a good first day, and then eventually got eliminated by Ring in the
0: in pre quarters. Oh, the arch nemesis, which we'll uh, definitely be talking about, right? Because uh, it turns around for you, though, right?
1: Yeah, it does. Right, and then um, so then after twenty fourteen, that was such a good experience. You know, I, d- despite. The sour taste in our mouths from nationals. We had a good year, and uh, I had a year under my belt uh, with machine. So, before twenty fifteen started, I talked with had a discussion with Slover, and you know he just he mentioned to me, he's like, all right, well, this is the year. This is going to be my last year. I'm going to devote all my time, or I'm going to make machine my main priority. So I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. Going to go to all the pod workouts. That's gonna be my priority, and we'll see what happens from there. So uh, I was like, "Yeah, let's let's do it. I'm I'm down with that." 2015 is when I started getting into the gym and training. At first, I was just do playing a lot of ultimate and lifting weights, not specific, not really like training specifically.
0: Your bodybuilding. Yeah,
1: bodybuilding. Yep. I'm
0: trying to get those arms.
1: So I didn't even know how to like squat or do any sort of lifts. I would just you know prior to 2015, I would find the machines at the gym and just do whatever machine was available at that time you know so nothing too organized before 2015. I was serious about training at the beginning of 2015 or going into 2015 and we had pod workouts twice a week and made machine main priority. I think a a lot of guys did I think we were pretty bummed about 2014 and how that ended so you know going into 2015 we're We had a different mindset of saying, screw this, you know, this is all on us, let's all just get better. Goose gave us all a training program and what to do with the gym, a program that I still use to this day. That program has allowed me to really maximize my athletic abilities, so yeah, I've been using it ever since. We had learned from our mistakes the previous year, 2014, and then went on to play ring again in quarters not pre-quarters yeah it was a competitive game I think that was maybe like Jack Williams's uh breakout game yeah even at that time we made semis and I was pretty excited and pumped about that you know my second year but I didn't really know how how big of a stage that was until a couple years later
0: yeah, until you get there again, right? Maybe after, because you kind of uh, talked about that theme a little bit, where you you feel that appreciation a few years later upon reflection. There, so uh, yeah, good stuff there. And and so Vaughn in 2018, I think this is the first time I heard of your name. Was in 2018 when you know the the awards come out, right? And you start to see like who what the who are the players I recognize as I as I watch club and your and your name pops up, right? Defensive Player of the Year. That's a pretty big deal, being recognized in that way. So uh yeah, kinda of summarize that whole year and just uh you kind of being thrown into some national conversation for, for a skill that you've uh assumed you're pretty good at your defense. So what was that like in twenty eighteen there?
1: you might wanna bring this back to twenty fifteen, but twenty fifteen when I first started, you know, training and everything, I probably had my breakout game that year against Bravo. So that gave me a ton of confidence. I'd say I I think I had two blocks and a in the second half against them which they had won the previous year i was just able to build on that and they gave me a lot of confidence for for the rest of the year and then going into 2016 then had some good games defensively as well so i was just you know continuously building on like these performances defensively at that point then it was just consistency have a good game have a good tournament here and there to be good you have to like keep it going throughout the entire season. Yeah, I'm kind of like going back and forth here, but once 2015 started and I was able to train and we made semis, you know, 2016 came around, right? And I was like, all right, let's do that again. Let's go to the gym at least three times a week. Let's go to let's go to all the pods. And after a couple of years, you know, it just becomes uh, your lifestyle, right? So then, after these years, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017, you just want to continue to build on some of your good halves, games, tournaments. And I think 2018, I was able to finally put that all together. A good regular season, and then that game we did end up losing to, or that year we ended up losing to uh, Pony in the quarters. But I had a couple good blocks that game, and I think that cemented my award for uh, Defensive Player of the Year in 2018.
0: You seem uh, through our interview a guy full of a humility there. So what was it hard for you to to get awarded in that way when you know that you know you've been part of this team for a while and and there's a, a team aspect to defense obviously as well. Was that like hard for you at all to uh, to be recognized in that way?
1: Um, machine sends surveys out at the beginning of the year. I think they said, you know they ask you what your personal goals are, and I think uh, since the beginning of 2015, like I said, when I first really started to get a uh, Started training for ultimate and become super serious about working out and training for machine. My personal goal since 2015 was to be like the, the best defensive player on the planet. 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Goal was always to be like the best defensive player. But be recognized as that is like it's cool, definitely. And I think a lot has to be said about the machine defense as well and and leadership. I mean, they they put me in a position where. I can go out and make plays. A lot goes out to my my teammates to feel like when we run our zones, if you watch some of the Ds in the clips, it's like everyone's in good position except for me. And then I notice at the last minute that someone's open. That's my guy. That's when the handler throws it. And luckily I have the speed and athleticism to uh, catch up and get that D. So.
0: So Vaughn, what you're saying is everyone else plays good defense, and you just play out of position defense. Is what is kind of what you're telling me right now.
1: Right. I don't know if I should be yeah, saying right. this. I think that's uh, part of our defensive game plan here. But
0: that's funny. I want to kind of touch on this uh, aspect you just mentioned with the mindset. Right. Your mindset was to be the best defensive player on the planet. So can you walk through with the audience, like even just what it's like during a game when you you know you're called on the line. It's universe point. What's your mindset like? like? What are you thinking about if you are thinking at all? Maybe it's just a blur. Like when you're on the line, you're like, I need to get a block for my team.
1: My goals before each tournament is to stick to the game plan first. So I have to position my body accordingly, you know, depending on what the, what the script is called before the point, before the pull is up. And either get blocks either after tunistically or just grinding, staying close to, to the receiver and pouncing on, on a throw that I was baiting. When you're forcing someone under, obviously I don't like to get force anyone deep too much. So I'm usually forcing someone to the under small space. So I'll force someone to like uh, the four side small space. They get like a seven yard under on me, which is perfectly fine. That's not much of a risk there since that's where I'm baiting the receiver. So that's where I really want to feast on some of those blocks that I get, especially, you know, if it's man to man. So uh, I know that my, my team also relies on a lot of the blocks that I get. So I know that it gets the team pumped up. So that just motivates me even more to pursue
0: a block. Yeah, I mean, and, and you've had a lot of those. Have there been times where you've, uh, and hopefully you can be honest with this, like there are times you've gone for the block and it's just gone horribly wrong. Like you're just completely out of position and the team just scores like two passes later. Does that happen at all? Because you're trying to, you know, make the thrower think that your player's open, stuff like that.
1: I'd say early in my career, I, I think I've done a better job with realizing the risk and making that bid attempt. I don't want to throw my teammates in a bad, put my teammates in a bad position where uh, they can get scored on right away.
0: So it sounds like you're taking what's called like more calculated risk, right? Like you're in those split second, you're thinking, is it worth it to to kind of, to go for bro kind of with the block? So that's uh, pretty cool just to, to get some insight into that kind of elite level defense, right? That's part of the, the point of the podcast. So I uh, do appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, and, like, I'll go into it more. It's like if you're – if you have a – you know, if I'm defending someone, they get open uh, into a small space, like to the side. I'm going to make that I, – I, I can take that risk and go for that bid, right? You obviously don't want to put your teammates in a bad position. Uh, but if you think you have a good chance at a D, you know, you definitely go for it. But then there are other opportunistic times where – uh, the person you're guarding is not really in a threatening position. At that time, then, is a good opportunity to sort of roam, float around to try to get that, that sneaky poached
0: D. And would you say that's kind of similar if they were grabbing a huge under on the break side and you think you might have a bid, but if you miss this bid, they're going to have a free, let's say you're forcing flick, they're going to have a free backhand huck to space then, right, if you miss the bid?
1: I think you still go for it. If you really think you can get to the disc first, if there's an open lane or a good angle for the D, you definitely go for it. If you feel like you can't get there in time, I think you could still contest a disc without bidding for it, though. Like if you're guarding uh, Trent Dillon or Jacob Jannon, uh, staying on the receiver's hip, maybe a little hand placement on the on the hip to let them know that you're there at least. And then you'll want to contain that person. So if you're guarding like a Dylan Free Child, you, know, you don't want to overcommit yourself, so you want to stay on his hip, contain him, just to prevent any easy monster backhand hucks them to the break side.
0: And does it get taxing at all uh, mentally, just knowing that you're probably being tasked with matching up against some of the stronger cutters on the other team or, or stronger players? Is that something that ever gets to you or it just feels you up because that's like what you thrive off of?
1: My First thought is to stick to the script, stay focused on what the game plan is, You're constantly orbiting. It's taxing out there because you're out there giving all your effort, constantly positioning your body to where the disc is. It's so fast-paced out there, so mentally you have to make sure that you find yourself in the correct position when you're orbiting. Otherwise, you just get beat. So yeah, it is pretty draining physically and mentally. When you're guarding a guy like Kotcher, you want to just be able to give it all your effort running without thinking so much. But there's so much thinking that's going on too. So yeah, it's definitely challenging.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't envy your position for sure, but uh, 2018 didn't end uh, from uh, my memory here. 2018 didn't end the way you, uh, you would say you wanted it to end, but 2019 goes pretty well for you in terms of making it to the semifinals there. And then we get the uh, iconic block against Sockeye there as well. So what was it like to just make it all the way right to the final 2019 after 2018 not being uh, the best finish for you guys in terms of uh, maybe expectation? In
1: 2018, we lost to Pony in quarters in a game that we, we thought that we should have won. We had the lead on them going into half and then just sort of stumbled towards the end and Pony's a really good team. So yeah, 2019 was definitely a journey. We had a couple of bad losses uh, during the regular season. But we knew that our roster and the players that we had were just a lot better than how we were playing at that point. We got two quarters and we had to play revolver. So that was that was tough. We actually we got a first round by, so our our game in the bracket was, our first game in the bracket was against revolver. We played really well against them and once we beat revolver, we got back to semis for the first time in four years. You know, celebrated with Walden, Coach Andy, and uh, Stefan. I think you know those are the only guys remaining from that 2015
0: semis year. Lots of young blood. It sounds like some infused with some young blood for your your 2019 squad.
1: Yeah, right. Shout out those uh, young bloods on 2019. But also, you know, we got like a lot of really great players. From we got Graffy from Madison. We had lots of high five transfers. So our squad is. uh was really good. Once we got past revolver, we played pony and semis, and you know we all just thought about that previous year, that loss that we had against them in quarters. You know that was definitely on our minds. And Johnny went on to have a uh, an amazing performance that game. That game was so much fun. Just watching Johnny do his thing. Defensively, we played well. We like it was just a really awesome game all around. Couldn't have felt any better, you know, going into that championship game than against uh, Sakai. Um, once we won that semi, you know, it's, it was there was so much joy, and just because you know we have never gotten to the championship ever, so we were just really really pumped about that. And then yeah, everything just really came to fruition with the roster. You know, when when we first put the roster together, we thought we had uh, we had championship expectations. So knowing that we got to the championship then we were uh, pretty excited, but the job wasn't done, Seattle's a very good team, and we were able to make a comeback at the end there, but yeah, they were just really solid team, and came out on top at the end.
0: That memorable 2019 final, you're right, like, your team obviously goes down, and, and you make a little bit of a furious comeback, so what was the messaging on the sideline from the coaches and things from leadership about how to get back in this game? You're down in the final, but you do make a furious comeback, you know, you have a big block, as I've Alluded to a couple times now, but not just you. A couple other players make plays. They, you know, throw some bad turnovers, and the and the tide changes, and and it's a really good final. So, what was the messaging on the sideline?
1: Yeah, not too much. Nothing too different. You know, we we knew the hole that we were in at that point. You just take it uh, one point at a time. As soon as those breaks started piling on each other, you know, the intensity picked up and the excitement picked up, and we got closer and closer. It Did lead to that to that block there that I had in our end zone so yeah it all just kind of amped up and ramped up to where, where we eventually tied them up and we weren't able to fully complete the comeback obviously sockeye very talented good team went on to win the game on universe but at least we made it interesting and a very memorable final
0: yeah and are you able to walk through uh if you remember what you felt uh when that throw was going up in in your end zone right you're down and you're trying to make a play and you just literally if you watch it and i will plug this video link in the show description so if you want to check it out you definitely should but you kind of fly off from at least from the vantage point of the viewer you're flying off the screen into view and just making that crazy play so what did you see out there if you can remember was it all just uh in the zone you're in a blur there
1: so it was a stoppage of play. A foul had been called, and um, I think once we found out that Sakai was ruled the disc, uh, I was like forty yards back, I think, or so. So I'm yelling all the way back, well, all the way up front to, to Nate Goff. It's a three on two at that point. Seth is on the mark too. So yeah, I'm telling Nate to cut off the inside. In my head, I'm thinking like Nate cuts off the inside. I'm gonna run back to as fast as I can. If there's any sort of uh, loopy outside, uh, outside in like flick, I'll be able to D it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened. Seth put on a tight mark. Nate was able to defend two guys. He's so long and fast that he was able to just defend two guys, sort of just by standing there. And yeah, Raider just threw that lefty backhand, floated for me, and I sprinted in. You know, I, that was the only chance that we had was for me to sprint as hard as I can to catch up to the play. It all just worked out exactly how I envisioned it
0: and it's funny because this envisioning of this play was probably like milliseconds right in your brain of just like registering what you had to do
1: right yeah it was a communication right is me telling nate what to defend and this is actually this is actually um something that we practice in uh, in machine practices so yeah it just happened perfectly in my head and i like to give Raiders some grief every time i see him and
0: he made you look good, right? So there you go.
1: <laughs> I tried to find his Venmo after after the game to buy him a beer and getting me that highlight play. I couldn't find him though, so.
0: Maybe he'll listen to the podcast. And in terms of, uh, yeah, you got the whole highlight reel made. I think I shared that on my social media because it was just a epic highlight reel of your uh, blocks there. And so last part, I know we've talked a lot about your journey, so... The next segment will be a bit shorter, but for someone who wants to improve their defense, uh, maybe they want to be the next uh, Von Allong, Elon for their team. So I know you could spend probably hours talking about how to improve your defense, but can you give, just give some quick tips, uh, little things that they, someone can do to really improve their defense and really become a, a top defender for their team?
1: Let's see. I think players are so lucky now. They have all this film that they can watch. So yeah, it's like watching a lot of film, watching all the defenders that you like to watch. Walden Nelson would be a recommendation of mine. Kind of like watching film, finding out what kind of player, what kind of defender you want to be, putting time in the gym to make that happen. And then, you know, everyone's sort of their own person. So it's like putting their own unique spin on on it. So it's like, yeah, if you want to be a great handler, defender, watch film on Walden, get in a lot of agility drills, get in the gym, and then be you. Kind of just do your do your own thing out there.
0: Yeah, and what about in terms of uh, mentality with defense as well? Is there I know people that play O line they uh, maybe have a certain mentality. Maybe same with defense. Is there a certain mentality you do that you need to be uh, really good on the D line there and just because if you're playing an elite level team, you're getting scored on multiple times in a row, right? No breaks are happening. You're getting scored on constantly, and especially you know team runs a quick pull play and it's a huck for a score. You're on there for. 15 seconds, what it feels like. So what's the mentality you need also to be a a great D-line player? Well, first of all, you're playing defense, so you're going to get scored on. Uh, You just have to
1: keep keep your head up, keep grinding. There's a lot of self-reflection that should happen then after a point. What went wrong? Was the effort not there? Were you positioned incorrectly? Stuff like that. Taking accountability is important. Also, if You get scored on really quickly, just regrouping with your teammates after points. That's crucial, just to make sure that you're all on the same page and communicating properly. And then uh, after that, maybe try convincing the captains to throw junk just to take the offense out of rhythm. (laughs) See if that could be an option. I always think that the onus is on me, personally. My goal is to get a block every game, you know, so I I know that that gets my teammates pretty fired up and charged up. Uh, I do put a lot of pressure on myself to get blocks or, you know, at the very least make life difficult for the offense, you know, so that's where a lot of the self-reflection comes in, you know, after each point you come off, you're always thinking about what you can do to uh, improve on.
0: And it definitely helps uh, if you have a team, of course, that has not just like seven guys, but like 10, 13, 14 guys that you can sub out in and out on, on D lines to, to provide that pressure as well. Cause then you can go hard on like every D point you're playing, which might not be every D point because you have such good depth. So that's, that's definitely part of it as well. It sounds like uh from like kind of a coaching organizational perspective. So Vaughn, bon, we've heard a lot about how you started, you know, the ACL injury first, kind of college experience there and then you played on the the second chicago team all the way up to machine and being an integral part of their d-line and someone that's well known for their ability to get blocks i'm just going to assume here that you didn't do this on your own okay so people journeyed along with you to help you mentor you guide you all those things so i'm going to give you a chance to give some shout outs right now to people who really helped you on your ultimate journey
1: that's gonna be a long segment here I think I'll first have to start with my older brother. You know, just being that older brother, he was that first competition for me and still is. So he, he, he really got me into athletics and into sports and really the fighter that I am. So shout out to him. Greg Slover, big impact in my ultimate career when I started playing at Western to get me to play with him on machine the Haymaker Corps, I think they know who they are. They definitely helped me along the journey to uh, become the, the player that I am. And then uh, when I finally got to Machine, the the leadership, a lot can be said about KK, Walden, AJ and Goose, Ron Kubalanza, Coach Andy. I think basically everyone that I've ever played Machine with, they, they definitely have all had a, an impact in my life. I mean, they're the ones that make me look good and I'm just the one that gets all the all the hype and all the praise on the D-Line. So, definitely couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, it's been quite the journey. And hope to keep it going. Yeah, oh, I can't can't forget about my my wife who allows me to to play Ultimate. She's an Ultimate player herself, so she understands it. And my family and uh, my wife's family as well to for for all their support and and, and love that they continue to show me. So I'd like to also shout out my friends. They can care less that I play ultimate. They probably still think it's silly that I do play. So that humbles me. Lots of shout outs and lots of love. Appreciate it all.
0: So Vaughn, thank you for sharing all that. We're going to move a shorter segment of terms of your daily life. Now, are you still training for ultimate? What's that look like? I saw on the AUDL uh, interweb there that you've uh, been extended, right? Playing for the union. So clearly getting ready for the season. Uh, vaccination's rolling out there in the States. So what's been happening out there for you uh, in terms of training, getting ready? Just training and getting ready.
1: Yeah, the day-to-day to me is waking up around 5, 5.15, 5.30. Yeah, again, that morning workout in, whether it's lifting or uh, conditioning. I will say that the very first thing that I do when I wake up is uh, I have my coffee machine set up to uh, Alexa. So when I wake up, I tell Alexa to turn on the coffee. So I know that the first step in getting that workout done is having that first sip of
0: coffee. So that's your pre-workout.
1: Yeah, it is. All natural. Well, sort of.
0: Yeah, you're not taking that other stuff. That's fair. And so, uh, yeah, you wake up, you do your workout, and then you kind of just do your workday then, it sounds like, right? Is that kind of what you do? And
1: Yeah, I have an office job, able to work from home. Pretty grateful and lucky to have that. But... I, I joke around with teammates saying that, uh yeah, the morning workouts are where it's at for many reasons. You know, you get it done out of the way. You can eat whatever you want the rest of the day, I feel. It's like
0: you've earned it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you work out in the afternoon, you have to you might be a little sluggish from what you ate and for lunch or, you know, earlier in the day. It opens you up for, uh, you know, a second workout uh, later in the day if you want to do that. And yeah, I think that just like gives you that competitive edge, you know. Like I know, I know that the, the competition's like sleeping right now. You yeah,
0: know, let's get this workout in. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a quotable uh, quote from this. Uh, While everyone else is sleeping, Vaughn's training and getting better at defense. So if you want to be a good defender like Vaughn Alangilan, you got to be training in the morning, like six a.m. Right? It sounds like. Or four uh, thirty, whatever. However early you can wake up. Yeah, so when you're training outside it's probably still pitch blackout, right? If you're uh running? Since COVID, you know, I haven't been able
1: to go to the gym, so we set up a basement gym. That that's that's kinda nice just being able to wake up and go downstairs and get the lift in. I I will say I, I do wait for um I do some of my warm ups and my stretching at home before I do go to the park and do some runs. For it to be light out so
0: Yeah, yeah, that's okay. It's a little safer, you know. But um in terms of uh normal season there, how do you balance Your office job, as you mentioned, your day job, with all these tournaments, because you're playing AUDL and club, that's like, not just a lot of your summer, that's a lot of your spring, fall, right? It's like more than, it spans more than one season there. Yeah,
1: so after my morning workout, it is a standard nine to five job, but it's pretty, pretty flexible, pretty flexible office job. Typically, I work downtown, downtown Chicago, but you know, the past year plus, I've been able to... Just work from home, and that's been nice. I'm grateful for that. Since I'm working on my computer, just able to watch Ultimate Games and watch film on the TV while working, so that's that's nice. Yeah, so then after work, during the season now, I'm going to be hitting up uh, pods then afterwards or getting a second little workout. And then on Fridays, I'm able to just fly right to whatever tournaments that we have going on. So, yeah, it's... A nice flexible job that, that I've had
0: since I started playing machine, actually. And uh, last question for this part uh, what are some other goals that uh, that you have as a player? I know uh, you had mentioned your master's age. The master's championships are a different time than the adult club. So are you planning to do both? Like, what are the next goals there for Vaughn, Alon, Gilon?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely to play master's. I think, I don't know, I've been looking forward to playing master's for. For
0: a couple of years, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm not sure which team I'm playing with yet, but looking forward to Masters Nationals. Yeah, I mean, we have some uh, high goals for uni- Union and Machine this year. I should mention that Machine tryouts still have to happen. So I'm just a Machine hopeful at this point.
0: That is true, though, right? I Like, you, you could get cut, is what you're saying. They might say you're too old.
1: Exactly. That's happened to other players in the past, and... I think that's something that machine is really good at. Oh, you know, they don't tell you that you're on the team. You got to earn it until, until after tryouts. So uh, every year I think I'm going to get cut. So it's even more reason to, to train.
0: And you probably find that that sort of uh, uncertainty, even if it's real or unreal, maybe it is real, the uncertainty of you making it. That probably helps fuel you, right? Just gives you that sense of urgency to get up every morning and train and those things. Exactly. So speaking of, uh, of your ultimate career here, let's uh, do a deep dive or quick dive, whichever way you want to take it, in terms of your favorite and least favorite game. So do you want to share your least favorite or favorite game that you've played first? Well, yeah, we'll start with the least favorite. All right. And it doesn't have to be a club game. It could be, you know, a college game, a league game for all we know.
1: Well, I don't know. I think this might be against the rules here, but I will say all the pre-quarters games that we had against uh,
0: Ring of Fire. So you're linking them all together. That's fair. You're, you're breaking the rules. I like it.
1: Ring of Fire is always a talented team. They are pretty feisty, um, hard workers. Yeah, every year they're good, and they'll make you battle. They get into our heads, and for some reason, and uh, whenever we play them in pre-quarters, it does not go well. So knock on some wood here. We, if we get to that point, that machine won't have to square off with, with the ring in pre-quarters.
0: But you you beat them in quarters, though, right? So maybe it's the, maybe it's the next round that... That might help you, right? Reverse some of the voodoo or, or some of that kind of stuff. So
1: As long as we can avoid them in pre-quarters, we're, we're
0: good. There you go. You heard, it, you heard it here first with that. We'll see what happens uh, this upcoming season. Hopefully there is a club season. We're not sure here in Canada, but it looks like, uh, you know, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but that, that sounds like uh, it's a possibility, right? So looking forward to it, looking to see what machine and uh, what's going to happen. So now, Vaughn, a lot of games to choose from. Your favorite. So you got to pick one. Or maybe you're going to lump a couple in as well, break the rules, so your choice.
1: Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. I think uh, my favorite game, though, would probably be um, semis against Pony in 2019. They had beaten us the year before, and then...
0: They're champs, right? They're defending champs, so...
1: Yeah, we beat them uh, 15-10. They're such a good team and so much talent on that roster. Yeah, it was definitely a memorable victory for me, and... Watching uh Johnny do his thing, and kurt and Joe have awesome performances um, it was just so much fun playing that game and being on the field and watching the stuff Johnny was doing was just uh I, I, I was amazed it was awesome it was fun to watch. I didn't do a damn thing out there. it was just so much fun to be a part of, and we had a good Chicago fan base out there cheering for us, so that made it that much more fun
0: yeah, you had mentioned this earlier, just uh for those who know the news, of course, the High Five had, had disbanded, the, I guess in 2018 it would have been, and then, and then 2019 a lot of those players came over. Joe White and, and Johnny Bansfield, among some others, so that just really infused a lot of talent for your team, and, and did that probably add a lot of motivation as well, just having a group of players that not only are talented, but have had success you know, in the college and club game as well, that probably just really just sparked a new motivation for your team, right?
1: Oh, right, yeah, it was like bringing in uh, a different culture of bringing in like high fives culture they get to see how machine works and now that we're teammates we're like motivating each other you know pushing each other to to get better and learning from each other as well so it's it's quite the journey 2019 was yeah i made it all worth it yeah
0: yeah and uh i'm gonna give you a chance to kind of make a prediction here do you see that other cities in the united states they might be doing something like that where they might combine teams at? because obviously michigan and Illinois being relatively close depending on where you are in those two states but they're not like you know you're not a 10 minute drive away let's say that right or or even half an hour so do you see that as being a trend we've seen some super teams formed of course people moving to play with the revolver play with the pony things like that do you see that as more of a trend in the club game or less or maybe you don't have a say at all in uh, what you think is going to happen or prediction
1: I I think that maybe it'll happen uh this COVID year in 2021 see some super teams form yeah, I don't really see it that much. I think we saw, we saw just, yeah, two teams in our area. Yeah, Madison uh, fold after 2018 and then high five fold as well. So that just happened to be in the Midwest. I, I, I don't see that happening with the exception of this 2021 COVID year.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah, good, good predictions, though. I like it. And uh, so, Vaughn, we're going to move to our last segment. We're going to do some rapid fire. We'll start off with some ultimate related questions first. So I know we've talked a lot about your defense, but these first two questions relate to offense, okay? So what throw do you prefer, your uh, flick or back end?
1: Yeah, give me that flick.
0: What about a hammer or scuba?
1: I used to throw a lot of hammers back in the day. I've actually, I haven't actually I have thrown a hammer or a scuba in my machine career.
0: That will have to change in 2021 then is what, is what we're hearing. you
1: can going to see a 90-yard hammer.
0: Pre-quarters against Ring of Fire. That sounds like, you know, Universe Point, stuck on the sideline. You're throwing a 70-yard hammer to Johnny Bansfield to beat Ring of Fire. That sounds like what we're calling here on the podcast. Yeah, there, give Bob, me that so. hammer then.
1: Yeah, I'll take the hammer.
0: <laughs> awesome. What about, would you rather drop a pull? Like I said, you don't, you're don't. you not playing a lot of offense, but, you know, you're on offense now. So, you would rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone?
1: I would rather drop a catch in the end zone. I also have to get a D to get it back.
0: Yeah, Flying D like you did uh, before. And what about, uh, let's say, Masters Nationals or even Club Nationals? You can win five straight silver medals, okay? Or just one gold medal, but your team never makes it to the final before or after that point.
1: Give me the gold. Yeah, I'll I'll take
0: the gold. You'll take the one one year of just peaking, right? Being the best. That's fair. And uh, some hot topic questions for you. Should Ultimate, as it's known now, be renamed to something else? Like, should we just change the name... I wouldn't mind a name change,
1: I'd say. I don't know, whenever I tell people I play Ultimate, dogs are, they just kind of look at me, they, they think I'm gonna, they still think I'm trying to end the sentence, you know? So I don't really know what it should be renamed to, but yeah, I don't know if people take the word uh, Ultimate too seriously when I when I tell them I play.
0: Yeah, what about uh, you playing both, Club and and semi pro, so you're gonna have a really good opinion on this one. Should ultimate just overall, uh, let's say even at the Wiff Diff level, at the world's level, have referees or should it just be observers? Or what do you think about that debate?
1: Yeah, I think that there's yeah, I don't know, not too much of a difference between referees and observers at this point. Might as well call them referees, and then yeah, that'll make our sport more valid. I don't know, just call them call them referees so that we could be in the
0: Olympics. It's like you listen to my show. Maybe you haven't, but it's like, you know, the next question coming, you're like a predictor here. So should ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympics?
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? Ultimate getting into the Olympics would be uh, a big, would, would be huge for, for growing the sport.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, Vaughn, some non-sports questions now. I'm going to give you a chance to share an amazing meal. Okay. With three people in the course of human history. They can be living or brought back from the dead. So you're going to have this great meal, you know, steak or whatever you like, steak, potatoes, I don't know, quesadillas, pizza, whatever. So who are you going to share this amazing meal with?
1: Well, the first person that comes to mind
0: is Michael Jordan. You're a Chicago guy, right? So you got to pick, you got to pick the, well, in my mind, you got to pick the goat. I said it, he's the goat. So I know some people, you know, LeBron or Kobe or whoever, but I, I'm thinking it's Jordan. So that's just my opinion. I probably sounds like it's yours too, right, Vaughn?
1: Oh, yeah, spot on. You're, you're exactly right, Theo. Yeah, first person that comes to mind is uh, MJ. You got to understand, growing up uh, in Chicago or uh, Chicago suburbs or Chicago air, land area, the Bulls in the 90s were, were everything, you know?
0: So, so, when he retired, like, well, quote unquote, retired the first time, what was that like for you? Like, you were obviously alive then. Like, was that devastating for you as a fan? Like, Jordan's going to play baseball? Like, what's going on here?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It was it was devastating. I, I was still so young at that point. It, he, he was he was like twenty nine when he retired, like in the prime of. I was devastated, but I think if that would have happened now, I would have been, you know, ruined. <laughs> I was devastated, and then I was devastated again when he came back with the Wizards. I must admit, I wasn't too pleased with that. Like I said, growing up in the nineties, the Chicago Bulls were everything. So this is definitely a. Chicago answer but give me Jordan Pippen and Phil Jackson oh
0: I thought you're gonna maybe go the worm Dennis Rodman or like maybe Tony Kukoc or Steve Kerr but you're going with the the mind that brought it all together Phil Jackson
1: right so I I I like how much of a Bulls fan that you you are but
0: I just like I just like basketball so I know all those names (laughs) I could give you can I give you more I don't know (laughs) (laughs) but Rodman
1: was around for the first three championships and i could just like eat my steak or lobster and just listen to those three guys tell stories from yeah their careers that'd be awesome
0: and you probably uh, it sounds like uh you probably watched the last dance like multiple times and like just like nonstop just like really soaking in the glory days right
1: no i haven't actually it was just i watched it that first time it was awesome it was so fun to see i wish there were more like intense michael jordan moments where he's talking to teammates and how he'd interact with teammates. I wish there was more of that.
0: In this theoretical dinner, you would get into the mind of Jordan, so you could uh, have that. And I'm always enamored with uh, different sports, and obviously, uh, especially with baseball, the Cubs. Like, Are you a Cubs fan? Are you more White Sox? Or maybe uh, you're indifferent to the two?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say more of a Cubs fan, definitely.
0: And uh, how does someone in Chicago pick between the Cubs or White Sox? Does it just depend where you grew up kind of thing? I've always wondered that with New York as well, like with the Mets and Yankees.
1: That's a great question. I don't know. I was um, My dad was a Cubs fan, and he would always just have the Cubs on. That has a lot to do with it, and what part of Chicago you're from has a lot to do with it, whether you're from the north or south side. But you still have some Sox fans that are up on the north side or Cubs fans that are on the south side. So I think for the most part, it's kind of like what you grew up watching
0: or where you're from. Yeah, and do you get along with uh, other like White Sox fans or is it kind of like, you know, oil and water when it comes to interactions there with the other other fans? I think that the White Sox fans like to hate more on the Cubs fans. Well, I think they've had less success and like the less prestige of the two teams, right? Because the Cubs are known as the team that broke the curse and they had the curse for so long, but they have the mystique about them, right? Wrigley Field, so.
1: Yeah, I don't really get into it. if I, if I, I'll have a conversation with them, it'll be friendly. If I see it going, you know, if it's heading towards you know uh muddy waters I'll, I'll I'll end it pretty pretty quickly
0: yeah yeah no that's fair and uh so in your uh, home there in uh Elmhurst Illinois just outside of Chicago you're going to put on a concert now so in your backyard it's going to be the, the Von Alon Gilon concert you got to pick any band or artist they could be living or dead or you know they broke up uh so you got to pick the order of the 3 that are going to play as well so not just who's playing but the order
1: great question first band that comes to mind i'd say is the beatles i think that's a no-brainer no explanation needed there so they would be the headliner right the beatles
0: yeah so they'd be last okay
1: my favorite band is the strokes so i'd probably have the strokes open up open up for the beatles
0: and then you there's a hole in the middle now who's gonna like are you gonna make it kind of similar music or maybe something completely different? <laughs> I feel like i have to mix it up here
1: give me some kid rock (laughs)
0: okay i mean you're the first person to to answer with kid rock if you want to answer kid rock that's cool i mean he was cool back in the day he's kind of gone country now i feel like but back in the day he was pretty cool from detroit so
1: no way um let's see all kidding aside not kid rock definitely have to mix it up who's hot right now give me like uh lizzo would be fun Lizzo or, um, you know what, I I would say let's go with, I'd have the Strokes go. It's probably like a noon or 1 p.m. show. And they're going to open up for the Beatles. The Beatles, you know, the whole block would come. Um, everyone would watch the Beatles around like 6 or 7. After the Beatles, like, the kids are asleep. The old, the old folks go home. I think around um, 11.30
0: midnight. We can get E forty. Okay, I I actually don't know who that is, so <laughs> I gotta to upgrade my music knowledge. Who is that? A group or is that like a rap group or something? Or
1: yeah, he's a rapper, mostly from uh, he's like a West Coast rapper. Honestly, I only know like a couple of his
0: songs. But you'd have those on repeat like the whole time. I know I know Travis Scott's done that. I think at a concert where he just plays the same song over and over.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just ha- have him play like choices
0: on repeat. That's a song you got to listen to, Theo. All right. So is that going to end like at 3 a.m. or something? Like Chicago's just partying all night long because I could just imagine that. And especially, uh, let's say, when the Cubs won, I'm sure that city was just alive for days, just nonstop partying, right?
1: Yeah, it would be like the same kind of feel.
0: Nice. I mean, epic concert. So last question here. Uh, You're going to get all the athletic talent in the world. So you could be, you know, seven foot tall. You could be 5'1", whatever you choose. But you can't choose ultimate as the answer for this. So, what sport would you play? Otherwise, you could play for you know the Bulls basketball. You could go Wimbledon. You could do golf Masters. What would you pick?
1: And you can give me a couple inches too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You could go. Uh, you could go, How tall are you? I am five eight. Hey, same height. Uh, yeah, you could be like six four if you wanted. In this hypothetical world, I mean, NBA point
1: guard would be fun. That would be. It might be my answer.
0: Do you want to be, like, an oversized, like, point guard? Like, you know, the 6'11", like, point guard kind of thing? Like, really skinny 6'11", point guard? Or are you going, like, one point guard, or what?
1: Yeah, I think more of a traditional, like, crisp ball type. Yeah, I don't need to score all too much. I like to distribute and, you know, play defense. So, yeah, let's go uh, NBA point guard.
0: For the, I assume, the Bulls?
1: It'd have to be. It's hard shoes to fill with... Uh, you know, last great point guard for the Bulls was D. Rose, so.
0: This ends our interview for today, but I appreciate all your vulnerability and even just coming back from some adversity, right? Two ACL surgeries, still playing some great defense. So, Vaughn, uh, I'm not sure if you're active on the social media, but uh, if you are, do you want to plug that as well as some games that you're involved in that people should check out? I mentioned the final between Machine and Sockeye from 2019. Are there other games that you would want people to check out? You can plug that now, and I'll make sure to add that in the show description. So if you're interested in the audience to check that out, you can uh, feel free to do so.
1: Well, people can email me. I'm not too um, active on social media.
0: Maybe they have a defense question, right? You never know. So
1: Right. So they can email me, uh, valangilan 25 at gmail.com. So that's v is in von my last name, 25 at gmail. They can YouTube, yeah, just Chicago
0: Machine Ultimate. Yeah, you, your team has like a lot of highlight videos. I remember back in the day you had your, you know, not so hot, like, I don't even know what it was called, but, you know, D-line roast and O-line kind of thing. Like, you had some fun stuff. Uh, we like to see that. You can look out for those, search for those videos.
1: I think those are on there. Those are hilarious. Those are fun to watch. But if there's one video I recommend, it would be the Michael Shield highlight video.
0: Alright, I'm writing that down, so it, I hope it's a good one because I'm writing that down, Vaughn, so.
1: A lot of people would refer to him as the Machine Goat, so go out and
0: watch it. Yeah, there you go, and I mean, I'll plug your highlight video as well from Ulti World, I believe they put that together, is that right? Uh, or was it Machine that put it together?
1: That was Machine, shout out uh, KK specifically. Um,
0: and uh, what's his full name?
1: Kevin Kelly. He's the one that puts together, you know, like 90% of these uh, Machine highlight videos and... Yeah, those are fun to watch.
0: Yeah, you referred to him earlier and I wasn't sure uh, who he was. So yeah, Kevin Kelly, a longtime machine veteran there. So you can check out those videos as well. All on the Machine uh, Ultimate YouTube, it sounds like, right? Like if you just type in Machine Ultimate, you'll be able to find that on YouTube.
1: Right. It's either Machine Ultimate or just Chicago Machine. I think it might be Chicago Machine, but it might be easier to search or to find them if you type in Chicago Machine Ultimate.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, make sure to plug that as well. So, Vaughn, thanks for coming in virtually, of course, all the way from Illinois. Good talking uh, some Ultimate, but also uh, some Chicago pro sports, right? So if you like pro sports, and uh, you know Chicago's been pretty successful. Uh, maybe not so much the Bears, but Bulls and uh, Cubs have been successful. So uh, we'll give that to you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Theo. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Sadie Jazerski. Sadie was a 2019 Callahan Award finalist who has played with the Ohio State University Fever, Columbus Cocktails, and the Team USA U20 and U24 women's teams. In this interview, Sadie talks about her college career and she gives some tips into how to become an elite thrower. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can check out some commenting highlights on YouTube. At one and only sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.